Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson this week, coming at you with news from the United States, India, the United Kingdom, Bolivia, and a see you in hell from Nazi Germany. First off, this isn't a particular news story that I want to talk about, but I just want to note that the increasing like fervor that we've seen in the last couple of days, this resurgence of questions about uh, COVID-19's origins, you know, Biden saying that he's going to have a panel investigate whether or not COVID emerged in a lab in China. Uh, that's only going to help Trump, obviously. Uh, that's only going to help the Republicans. They're not going to be deterred by the findings of whatever investigation Biden, you know, foresees. They're not going to be deterred by any kind of investigation. It's only propaganda. It's only xenophobia. That is what this is. And in today's climate, politically in the United States, that's literally only going to help the extreme right. Uh, in other news, uh, on the right wing in the United States, the base, uh, a terrorist organization that was largely dismantled several years ago, actually, you know, um, by several FBI raids and also ultimately, uh, culminating in the escape of its leader uh, to Russia. Uh, the base is actually recruiting again now, though. Uh, this is coming out of reporting from Vice, uh, which shows that, well, essentially that the chat groups that uh, the base had been recruiting through uh, are open again. Obviously, you know, they're new, they're renewed, they're in different forms. Uh, the leader is still in Russia. He's still in, oh, well, not hiding there. He's just not being extradited back to the United States because Russia is protecting him. Uh, this is pretty disturbing uh, because the base and several of its, you know, splinter and related organizations are some of the actually like real terroristic groups in the right wing you know they're not they're not like the the proud boys which are essentially like a street fascist gang uh the base was a paramilitary terrorist organization uh with goals you know like bombing train stations and you know creating dirty bombs and things like that uh so the base returning is uh bad news it's really disturbing Back to the United States House of Representative, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the really disgustingly anti-Semitic and conspiratorial and fascistic uh, member of the House, a uh, Republican, uh, has made of comments this week comparing uh, mask mandates in the United States, like requiring people to wear masks in public spaces in order to uh, reduce the spread of the coronavirus. Uh, she compared that to the Holocaust. Now, as far as green comments go, that's not even particularly crazy, um, although it's uh, particularly openly anti-Semitic and disgusting. Um, obviously, she's faced significant backlash from many sectors of the United States political world, but uh, also notably from within the Republican Party. Uh, lots of people in the party are trying to distance themselves from her. Um, but then again, a lot of others aren't. Uh, and that's because they know that Green represents, in some senses, the future of the party. Uh, she is a conspiratorial uh, QAnon supporter, uh, originally. Um, she represents a an extreme right wing that is taking over the Republican Party. Uh, and so vilifying her is a dangerous move uh, for a lot of Republicans. Uh, one of the ones that, you know, it, you know, it's not dangerous for her anymore is Liz Cheney, because, of course, Liz Cheney's opposition to precisely the kind of Republican realignment that Marjorie Taylor Greene represents got her fired from her leadership position in the party. Right. Uh, the people seeing Liz Cheney condemning Marjorie Taylor Greene know that this is what can happen, you know, 
even if people agree with the comments that you're making, even if they agree with your condemnation of these kinds of politics, realignment is happening in the party. It is moving to the extreme right. And knowing that, they have to, you know, they have to prepare themselves. And finally, on the subject of realignment, we return to Steve Bannon, uh, the political thinker and strategist who arguably is one of the most responsible people for Donald Trump's presidency and his presidential win in 2016. Uh, he has had his fraud indictment dismissed. Uh, this is coming from Bloomberg News. Uh, Bannon had previously um, been pardoned uh, by Donald Trump for this fraud indictment. Uh, the crime was defrauding people who thought that they had been paying for the construction of the border wall between the United States and Mexico, uh, when in fact, uh, Bannon and his associates had been using that to buy a luxury yacht, uh, which Bannon used uh, for podcasting. Actually, uh, he, he was living on it and was uh, running his uh, xenophobic podcast out of it uh, from the majority of 2020. Uh, now, he'd been pardoned for this. But remember, in the United States, most of the time, acceptance of a pardon uh, is understood to indicate that the party accepts that they were, in fact, guilty of the crime. Uh, for which they were pardoned, uh, being dis the case being dismissed against Bannon, uh, unfortunately means that these legal procedures aren't going to go forward. And so like, there's a degree of his involvement in this fraud that we might not be, uh, we might just not be fully aware of, uh, despite the fact that he is no longer legally culpable for it, no matter what. Outside of the United States, the massive coronavirus outbreak in India continues. Uh, there are continued political problems and fallout. Uh, for the current Prime Minister of India, Modi. Uh, that situation will continue to develop. I'm just going to continue to remind folks about it, uh, especially uh, those of you who are listening uh, in the United States. Uh, this often gets glossed over uh, rather than being talked about um, in, you know, in light of the United States sort of reopening uh, as the worst of the pandemic in the United States recedes, uh, just to remember that uh, a, an erstwhile ally of Donald Trump and a relatively similar political figure in that he is, you know, a right wing demagogue, a populist, uh, is presiding over the worst coronavirus outbreak to date. Uh, similarly, uh, in Myanmar, we're seeing a continuation of exactly the same kind of political violence that we had previously seen. Uh, now there's increasing evidence that uh, cultural producers, uh, like poets, uh, are being targeted by the military regime uh, in an effort to reduce uh, anti-government uh, cultural production. In the United Kingdom, uh, police have arrested five uh, for the attempted murder of a Black Lives Matter activist named Sasha Johnson. Uh, Sasha Johnson is a black person uh, and a citizen of the United Kingdom. Uh, these five men uh, arrested for her attempted murder um, <clears throat> uh, have been arrested for several different offenses, uh, from drug possession to this attempted murder uh, to trying to start a fight in public. Uh, Sasha Johnson was shot in the head at a party uh, last weekend. Uh, she remains in critical condition in a hospital in London. Her involvement in the Black Lives Matter protests in London earlier last year uh, are the origins of these uh, attempted murders, uh, of, of this attempt to kill her. Uh, this crackdown against these particular young men is an indication that the police in London are taking the threat of that kind of violence seriously. Although, of course, the fact that they carried out that violence before they could be stopped is an indication of the fact that the police are not, you know, a preventative measure uh, when it comes to political violence of this kind. 
What this means is that the right wing is continuing to organize in the United Kingdom. It's continuing to advocate for uh, violence, is continuing to use political violence in order to stamp out dissent. It's continuing to use uh, the threat of murder uh, in order to stop activists from advocating for a better world. And unfortunately, we must continue to expect them to do that. Finally, from Bolivia and also the United Kingdom, this reporting comes, uh, well, the English language reporting, and this comes from AP from the Associated Press. Uh, the former interior minister of Bolivia, Murillo, uh, has been arrested in the United States. Uh, he was the interior minister of the Añez government, uh, the coup government that ousted uh, former President Eva Morales. Uh, Murillo has been arrested in the United States, uh, charged with bribery uh, for his involvement in a kickback scheme with a, like, military grade tear gas company uh, that operates out of Florida in the United States. Uh, he's been charged with accepting, essentially with accepting kickbacks in order to uh, justify overpriced contracts with the Brazilian coup government uh, for tear gas, which it used to put down protests against the coup that it had staged in that country. Uh, obviously, this is a disgusting story, but it is good to see somebody who is a deeply involved figure uh, on the right wing in Bolivia uh, getting at least some kind of comeuppance uh, for the crimes that he's committed. Finally, I bring you See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of right-wing figures throughout history. This week, we are once again turning to Nazi Germany, back to the early 20th century. This week is Heinrich Himmler. Uh, Himmler was a Bavarian Catholic born in 1900. Uh, he's another classic, sickly, weak 19th century type boy. Um, no World War II service uh, because he was too young and sickly, um, but was raised in a classically anti-Semitic family uh, and a classically politically anti-Semitic environment. Uh, he met Ernst Röhm in college. Uh, Ernst Röhm was one of the early leading Nazis actually uh, rising along with Hitler. In the 1920s, uh, Himmler, alongside Rom, uh, descended into anti-Semitic politics and Nazism uh, as they aged. Um, in 1923, Himmler joined the Nazi party. Uh, this also roughly coincided with his abandonment of Catholicism and a turn to, you know, what he considered to be a more like true, original, organic uh, Aryan paganism. Uh, Himmler is a, an interesting figure in Nazi history, specifically because he is, if not completely responsible, he's largely responsible for a lot of the like impression and ideas that we get, uh, especially outside of Germany and especially like, you know, in a history buff type way of the Nazis affiliation with and interest in uh, paganism, the occult, that kind of thing. Uh, Himmler rose in the SS, uh, both during and immediately after Hitler's imprisonment, uh, during the Beer Hall Putscht. Uh, he wanted Aryan members of the SS. Uh, interestingly, uh, many Nazis noted that, uh, Himmler himself obviously would not meet the requirements of these, like, you know, like, Übermensch things that he wanted, um, from the SS members that he was trying to recruit. Uh, he was short, uh, he had dark hair, uh, he was not uh, a healthy man, uh, but that was what he wanted, uh, in the SS. Upon the Nazi seizure of power in the 1930s, uh, Himmler took over racial policing uh, and also early concentration camps, uh, which at the time were primarily focused on the Nazis' political enemies, uh, as well as people whom they deemed to be um, deficient of being sufficiently German for reasons of their health or their sexuality, uh, which is uh, among the origins of the mechanisms of the Holocaust, the legal mechanisms of the Holocaust. 
Himmler consolidated power uh, within the Nazi party, uh, specifically after the Night of the Long Knives, uh, which, uh, as you know, uh, severely crippled a particular part of the Nazi party, um, the SA, uh, which had previously been one of the larger and more powerful branches of the party. Uh, this led to an expansion of SS power, uh, which is helpful for Himmler because he was one of the highest uh, leaders of the SS. Uh, this was also part of Himmler's plan to use the SS as an anti-Christian uh, push in Germany. Uh, he also pushed for anti-Slavic invasions of Eastern Europe uh, and was a hardline anti-Semite. Uh, he was a like a real hardline racial, quote, scientist type uh, in the Nazi regime. Uh, Himmler is also notable for having attended the conference, uh, which created the so-called what what the uh, attendees of the conference called the final solution uh, to the, quote, Jewish question. Uh, essentially, this is the conference at which uh, the mechanisms of the Holocaust, the specific mass murder mechanisms of the Holocaust, uh, as opposed to the earlier um, mass killings uh, orchestrated by soldiers, mostly with guns, um, this uh, conference instead decided that the Nazi party would carry out its horrible atrocities uh, with camps and uh, trucks, gas trucks, uh, specifically designed for mass murder. This is the height of Himmler's power within the Nazi party and specifically within the SS, uh, which came to be a very powerful force for um, a lot of, well, the Holocaust and for a lot of the war effort in Germany. Uh, Himmler was also influential in getting uh, many Western European members of the Nazi sphere of influence to send uh, people for SS battalions uh, to fight the Soviets primarily. By 1945, however, uh, Himmler had lost a lot of internal power uh, within the party and also Germany's defeat seemed inevitable. Uh, Himmler, uh, ever the sickly, weak coward uh, that he ultimately was, uh, decided that his best option uh, was to try to negotiate a peace with the Allies as, you know, arguably one of the top, probably four Nazis um, in the Nazi regime. Uh, so he communicated with some um, former colleagues of his, former contacts of his uh, that were in Sweden uh, as an intermediary with the Allied forces. Uh, his efforts failed. Uh, the Allies did not accept this and his uh, entreaties did not work. Uh, however, when Hitler learned about Himmler's betrayal, it really finally sank his hopes. Uh, Himmler was one of the real original true believers uh, in Hitler's ideology and also one of his earliest allies within the party. And so losing Himmler to defeatism uh, really made Hitler give up and was a major reason for his uh, ultimate suicide. Himmler's attempts at uh, achieving some sort of separate peace uh, that might have, you know, secured him a better position having failed. Uh, he tried to hide uh, from both the Allies and the Germans because, of course, you know, the Germans would have killed him for his treason, you know, for attempting to to find a, a peace with the Allies without Hitler's approval. Uh, however, Himmler failed uh, and was captured first by Soviet former POWs uh, and finally transferred to British custody, uh, where he gave a false name 
However, he was identified as a potentially very interesting figure, uh, given several insignia that were found on his person. Uh, and during a medical examination uh, to try to determine his personage and, you know, just like a medical examination as he was entering uh, British custody, uh, he turned away uh, from the medical examiner uh, as the medical examiner was trying to get a look at his teeth in order to bite down on a cyanide capsule that he had hidden in his mouth. And so Heinrich Himmler died this week in history, 23rd of May, 1945 of suicide. So, Himmler, we will see you in hell. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you found this podcast interesting, educational, useful, please like, share, and subscribe, and share it with friends, family, and comrades. And if you found it particularly useful, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.